This is the Dogs on the Hill podcast with your host, Reeves Fisakalu. Welcome back to the Dogs on the Hill podcast. I'm your host, Reeves Fisakerly. It is Friday, February 10th, around 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I thought the Nets would do everything that they could to keep Kevin Durant, and maybe they did. But after trading Kyrie Irving to the Mavericks, the Nets make a quick turnaround and trade Kevin Durant to the Phoenix Suns. This hypothetical super team of James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, that a lot of the basketball world was thinking would just take charge and become a super team, become a dynasty, is no more. It never even really got its feet off the ground to begin with. Combined, the three of them only played 16 games together. They went 13-3 and over that span, so it was great. And maybe that's a glimpse at what could have been, but I guess it just wasn't meant to happen. None of them are there. They've all been traded away. And the Nets are officially, most definitely, in a full-on rebuild mode. Phoenix received Kevin Durant and TJ Warren. The Brooklyn Nets get Malcolm Bridges, Johnson, Crowder, and four first-round picks. It's a lot. A hefty, hefty deal. Huge return for the Nets. One of the most immediate things that this trade does is impact the championship odds. If you like looking at sports bets, the Suns' chance to win the NBA title was plus 1,800 before acquiring Kevin Durant. Now, it is plus 450. Those are the second best odds to win the championship in the entire NBA. The team in first is the Boston Celtics at plus 350. On the other side, the Nets, with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, had a plus 700 chance. After trading Irving, it went down to plus 2,200. And now without Durant, it's at plus 10,000. So the Nets are so far out of this now without both of them. It's very rare that a player of Durant's caliber, one of the best players in the league, gets traded. So... I'm a bit surprised, to be honest. I thought the Nets would do everything that they could to keep him. uh, But no, he's gone. Kevin Durant is now alongside players such as Chris Paul and Devin Booker in Phoenix. So here's some things to look out for now that Kevin Durant is with the Suns. Kevin Durant is 34 years of age. And he's currently injured. He's not expected to be able to make a full return until after the All-Star break. But Kevin Durant has been battling injuries pretty consistently since the 2018-19 season. Chris Paul is 37 years of age and is showing to be in a bit of a decline. Paul also has a track record of postseason injuries. So, can the Suns stay healthy enough to win a title this season? Being projected to win the title is nice, but actually doing it is an entirely different beast, and health is obviously super important for that. 
This move also locks the Suns into what is most definitely a win-now mode. An interesting side of this, we talked about some older players, but a younger player, Devin Booker, who is 26 years of age, he is now locked into this older veteran core. And, I mean, there's virtually no younger supporting cast that will join him in the next few seasons, at least through the draft, because the Suns don't have draft picks anymore. They just traded four first-round picks to the Nets for Kevin Durant. And for those listeners who are unfamiliar with the NBA draft, there's only two rounds. It's not like the NFL or the NHL where you have seven rounds or the MLB where there's 18 plus. No, the NBA draft has two rounds. So getting rid of four first round draft picks, that essentially gets rid of half of your draft for the next four years. And being in the first round, that's debatably the most important draft pick. The question that struck me after looking into this was, how will this affect the Suns in their chase for a championship? I'm going to compare them to two NFL teams for the sake of this. Are they going to turn into a yearly powerhouse contender, a yearly title contender, such as the Kansas City Chiefs? I mean, the Chiefs have made the AFC championship for six years in a row. Or... Is this Suns team going to be like a 2021 season Los Angeles Rams? They did it. They put all the chips on the table. They went all in and they got a Super Bowl winning roster, but they took a massive plummet the next year. And I don't know where the Rams are going to be going forward. So will the Suns be a frequent contender like the Chiefs or a one and done like the Rams? The Suns currently only sit at 6th in the Western Conference standings, so that's the last seed to be guaranteed a playoff spot, as, again, seeds 7 through 10 have to go through the play-in tournament. They're currently 8.5 games behind the Nuggets, who are in 1st place in the Western Conference. If the playoffs started today, the Suns would have to play against the number 3 seed, who is the Sacramento Kings, The Kings are also winning that division that they and the Suns are a part of. There's some huge news on the college football front that came out. Oklahoma and Texas will move to the SEC in 2024. This is one year earlier than they were scheduled to. Because of Texas and Oklahoma's contract with the Big 12, they would have had to stay until 2025. But... The two universities will pay a combined $100 million payout to the Big 12 to leave a season early. Now, BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF are all going to join the Big 12 this year for the upcoming 2023 season. For this season, the Big 12 will consist of 14 teams. This will just be for one year. The conference will then go back down to 12 teams the following year when Oklahoma and Texas move to the SEC, and the SEC will become a 16-team conference. When Oklahoma and Texas join, it has been confirmed that the SEC will get rid of the East and West divisions. Thus, the SEC championship, instead of being the West winner and the East winner, will just be the two teams who finished first and second in the conference. I am personally a huge fan of this. I am not a big advocate of divisions, 
I always liked how the Big 12 just let the two best teams in the conference duke it out in the conference championship. I like this. More often than not, there is a tendency for the SEC West to be much, much stronger than the SEC East. I mean, now we have Georgia emerging as a powerhouse, but I don't think there should just be a division line. I think if you're in the conference and you're the best team and you're in the conference and you're the second best team, let them play each other. No divisions is a good thing. Just let the two pure best teams compete. This is also almost a guarantee that both participants in the SEC title game are going to make the CFP, win or lose. And that's because in 2024, we're going to have a huge change in the college football landscape. Oklahoma and Texas join the SEC, which is also the same year that the TV contract kicks in. The SEC has a new contract with ESPN, so there's going to be no more SEC on CBS. UCLA and USC are going to join the Big Ten. And this is the first year that the CFP has 12 teams. So both of those teams playing in the SEC Conference Championship probably have a really good chance of making the CFP. We know that it's going to be the five Power Five champions, whoever the committee deems the best group of five champion. Those will be the first six seeds, and then the next six seeds will be at-large bids. So just whoever the committee deems the next six best. And I, right now, can very confidently say that minimum one maybe even two SEC teams will occupy those spaces. So the SEC is in a really good spot. Texas and Oklahoma, huge college football brands coming in earlier. CFP is expanding, more room for them to get more teams in the playoff, and no divisions is just going to make a much better SEC title game. If you ask me, I think viewership will be much higher now that it's just strictly the two best teams. Let's not forget the big thing happening this weekend. It is Super Bowl Sunday. Let's preview this. So this is going to be an amazing matchup between the Chiefs and the Eagles. According to ESPN's Football Power Index, or FPI, the Chiefs and the Eagles are the two best teams this year in the NFL. The Chiefs are ranked first. The Eagles are ranked second. The Chiefs have the number one offense. The Eagles have the number two offense. The Eagles have the number one defense, and then the Chiefs have the number nine defense. Should we be concerned about Patrick Mahomes' ankle? And I think the way we look at this is the Eagles' defensive line, or just defensive unit, and the Chiefs' offensive line. So the Eagles lead the league in sacks. They finish the regular season with 70 sacks on the year, which is the third most in NFL history. And they also made NFL history by having four players register 10 or more sacks on the year, which is the most ever since they started measuring that statistic in 1982. The Eagles are ranked first in their pass rush and their sacks, and they're the fifth highest pressuring defense. They also have the number one pass defense. So that's very intimidating. That's very scary. But the Chiefs also lead the league in their pass blocking. So, I mean, that defense is going to try their absolute hardest to just pummel Patrick Mahomes in the Chiefs' offensive unit. But if you're a Chiefs fan, one thing that you definitely have going for you, other than having Patrick Mahomes, is you have the best offensive line. 
And that's how you win a football game. That's one of the three. That's one of the three keys to winning a football game, if you ask me. Offensive line, run game, defense. Chiefs have an offensive line. The Chiefs have the most pass yards per game. They're averaging 298 pass yards per game. And Philadelphia has the fewest pass yards allowed per game, 180. So the best versus the best. The Chiefs are the number one passing offense. And like I said, the Eagles are the number one passing defense. This is going to be the third time in history that the number one passing offense is going to take on the number one passing defense in the Super Bowl. The first time that happened was in 2002, Super Bowl 37, when the Buccaneers beat the Raiders. And the second time was in 2013, Super Bowl 48, when the Seahawks just stomped the Broncos. Fun fact, both times that this has happened, the team with the number one passing defense won the game. So that's a stat that goes in the Eagles' favor if history repeats itself. These teams are almost identical. They have the same record, finished the regular season 14 and 3 with their playoff wins they're 16 and 3. They have the same number of points scored on the year, 546. They have the same number of players listed as all pro, 6. And neither team has trailed in a game this postseason. And this is the first time that that has happened since Super Bowl 39, 2004, when the Patriots beat the Eagles. Looking at quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes is currently ranked first in QBR, 72.7. And Jalen Hurts is second in QBR, 69.5. Jalen Hurts has the best touchdown to interception ratio, 21 to 4. And Patrick Mahomes has the second best touchdown to interception ratio, 37 to 8. Patrick Mahomes also just won his second league MVP, very well deserved if you ask me. Mahomes leads the league in passing yards, 5,250 on the year. No quarterback has ever led the league in passing yards and won the Super Bowl in the same season. So I guess that's another thing going for the Eagles if history is to repeat itself. As far as tight ends go, Travis Kelsey led the league or led all tight ends in receptions per game, yards per game, and yards after catch. Dallas Goddard, number one tight end for the Eagles, was top five in all of those categories as well. The Eagles may have an entire defensive unit that is super scary, but for the Chiefs defense, they have Chris Jones. Chris Jones has 17 and a half sacks on the season, which is the third most all time since 1982 when they started measuring that stat. And in the postseason alone, Jones has eight pressures. So with all of that, let's look at some betting odds. The current line, and it's stayed here for a while, is the Eagles by one and a half. The over-under, 51.0. And ESPN's FPI chance to win. Kansas City Chiefs, 51.8%. Philadelphia Eagles, 48.2%. This is going to be a wild Super Bowl. I think we're in for a treat. Two incredible defenses, two phenomenal offenses. I think this Super Bowl is going to be one that many fans of the game are going to remember for a while. And I just really hope that it lives up to that hype. A lot of these history repeating itself 
statistics do seem to favor the Eagles. I'm still rocking with the Chiefs. I really think that this is the Chiefs' year. They have just played incredible all year long. Every time they face a challenge, they know how to rebound from it. Patrick Mahomes just won the MVP. I I just really, really like the Chiefs in this matchup. I think Mahomes gets his second ring. Fun fact, too, the game that is in Arizona, whoever wins this game will have more wins in Arizona this season than the Cardinals did. So going into this game, the Chiefs are 1-0 in Glendale. The Eagles are 1-0. And the Cardinals are 1-8. So whoever wins the Super Bowl will have won more Cardinals home games than the Cardinals have. That's all I have for you today. Enjoy the Super Bowl on Sunday. Thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of the Dogs on the Hill podcast. And I hope to have you back next time.